great to see everybody this morning. Everybody doing good? All right. I tell you, being in Michigan and not having snow on the road in January, this is a good deal. Great. Um, before I jump in, I'm going to just mention that we brought a few resources in the back. And there is uh, one particular book I want to kind of draw your attention to. Uh, Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he said, uh, by the way, how many remember anything about this guy, Solomon? Wisest man that ever lived, except for Jesus. Yeah. By the way, he was the richest man that ever lived. Richer than, than Musk. Yep. Right. And, and not only that, he was the greatest achiever of his generation. And so he said, I give you 30 sayings of wisdom and counsel. I, I know a couple of things that having lived for a little while. And one thing I know is nobody reaches their potential without a mentor. Yes. Right? Nobody reaches their potential without a mentor. And the quality of your mentor usually determines the height that you go to. Right? If, if you uh, want a mentor in marriage, don't find somebody who's been married four times. Come on. Come on. <laughs> you need to find somebody who's got a great marriage. That's right. All right. So Solomon says, look, I want to help you. He says, I want to help you with your attitude. I want to help you in your relationships. I want to help you with your money. I, I want to help you with your job. And he goes down 30 different areas and says, look, this is what you need to know. This is going to help you. This is going to help you improve. So we took all 30 of them, put them in a book, and I and, uh, just wanted to mention that's in the back there. But today I want to start this message in Hebrews chapter 6, where Paul is talking about the foundational doctrines of Christianity. Right? And he starts out, and he says, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Uh, how many ever heard of Judgment Day? Yeah. All right. That's literally what this is talking about. It's talking about there is a Judgment Day when every one of us is going to stand before God. Yeah. Right? So I, I have entitled this message, How to Be Happy on Judgment Day. <laughs> right? a, a lot of people are very concerned about Judgment Day, all right? But I want to talk to you about how to be happy on Judgment Day. You're going to be glad it shows up, all right? So in Revelation chapter 20, we actually find Judgment Day in the Bible, all right? It says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. Um, if you're following along in a Bible, you should circle that books. It's not just one, it's multiple books, all right? And another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, according to the things that were written in the books, plural, all right? And actually, theologians call these books the books of works. And in those books are written all the things that you've done. Your works are written in those books, Right? And you'll be judged based on the things written in those books. And I saw the dead, small and great. And death and Hades were delivered up, and and delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to their works. 
Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, the book of life, that's the book where your name is written when you receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. That's right. right? So the only way to make heaven is to have your name written in the book. Not the books, but the book. All right? There's books about everybody, but there's just one book that's a book of life. So you are not saved based by what you do, on what you do. You are saved based on what Jesus did in putting your faith in what Jesus did. Right? But heaven is not a government housing project. You say, what do you mean? Everybody, it's, everybody's not going to have the same rewards when they get to heaven. Right? The dead were judged according to their works. In fact, in Revelation 22, Jesus said, he said, I'm coming back quickly. He said, and my reward is with me. The Message Bible says it like this. And my paycheck is in my hand to give to everyone according to what he has done. Right? According to what he's done. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 10 through 15, we find what's going to happen to you as a believer when you get to heaven with your works. Right? And the Bible tells us God's going to put your works on an altar. Right? And some of them are going to be like wood, hay, and straw, and they're going to burn up. And others are going to be like gold, silver, and precious stones. And for every one of those, you're going to receive a reward. Now, here's the interesting thing. It literally tells us that some people will be saved, but they will have zero rewards because everything's going to be burned up. It says they will be saved, but it is by fire. See, so it's possible to go to heaven and make heaven, but yet have no reward when you get there. Or you can have an abundant award when you get there. That's right. right? In other words, you can have your soul saved and your life lost. Got that? You can live a life selfish, all about yourself, but yet you receive Jesus and you make heaven. But when you get there, there's not going to be a reward for what you've done. Right? It's not enough to just get to heaven. We want to get to heaven having done with God the will of God for our lives. Right? So let me give you an example. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. So here's Moses. He's, he's growing up in Pharaoh's house. Anything the world had to offer, he had it in abundance. But yet he turned his back on all of that to be with the people of God and to suffer reproach. And why did he do it? The Bible says he looked to his reward. So when you get to heaven on judgment day, you are going to be asked two questions. And exactly how they're going to be worded, I'm not positive. But I do know the substance of each question. All right? The first question you're going to be asked is this. What did you do with Jesus? 
What did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him as your Lord and your Savior? That's question number one. If your answer is in the affirmative, I received Jesus, there's going to be a second question that you're going to answer. And that is this. What did you do for Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? And remember, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And that reward is going to be based on what you did for Jesus. You're not saved by what you do for Jesus, but you will be rewarded for what you do for Jesus. Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do the good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So this, this verse tells us that God has prepared good works for every single one of us to do. Right? No exceptions. Right? See, God didn't just call us out of the world or out of sin. He called us to the kingdom of God and good works. You don't earn your salvation, but as a result of your salvation, there's things that you and I are called to do. Um, a number of years ago, a young man graduated from a university in London, became very, very interested in Christianity while he spent a few years in London. Um, after he graduated, he took a job in South America, excuse me, South Africa. He lived with a Christian couple. In that family, he watched them and he thought, this is going to be the perfect spot where I can see what Christianity really looks like. How does it really play out in somebody's life? And he was very disappointed. He said what he noticed was this, that they were very casual about their commitment to God in general. He said they they made no sacrifices that he could see on on the behalf of others. And as a result, his, his heart really turned away from God and from seeking God. He, he returned to India. And by the way, his name was Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, he led a, a, literally a revolution in India. But what, what I found so interesting was that his hunger for God, his hunger to understand Christianity, was turned off by Christians. But what should happen is the exact, exact opposite. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be healed. He said, don't take your light and put it under a lamp, but put it on a, up, up on top of a lampstand. Right? And so let your, shine, your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yeah. Right? You know, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 10 about a lawyer coming to Jesus. And he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he says, well, how do you read the law? Obey the law. And he says, well, here's the, here's the law in a nutshell. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, as your neighbor, as yourself. And Jesus said to the man, well, you've answered rightly. And the man said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, there was a certain man, and he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
and he fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They beat him up. They left him wounded and half dead. And it just so happened that along came a priest. And he saw him. And I don't know if he was late for service or what. But the Bible says he passed by on the other side. And then likewise a Levite comes by. And he sees the man and he passes by. But then a Samaritan. And, and uh, you probably know this, but the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. They, they had a hard time even speaking peaceably about one another. The, the Jews referred to them as dogs. But when he saw that man, the Bible said he had compassion. He got off his donkey. He went over. He examined him. He poured in oil and wine and took care of his wounds. He put him on his donkey. He took him down to the hotel. He took care of him that night. The next morning he got up. He put down $500 and says, take care of this guy. He says, and when I come back, if you spent more, I'll take care of it. And Jesus looked at that man who had asked him the question and said, which of those was a neighbor? And he said, well, the one who had compassion on him. And Jesus said, well, you go and you do likewise. You go and you do likewise. See, we're, we're supposed to not just have a faith that's in our heart, but we're supposed to have a faith that, that shows on the outside. So when people see it, they, they, they're attracted to God. That's right. Jesus said, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Jesus told another story, and, and he said, there was a certain rich man whose land yielded plentifully. He thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? So I've got no room to store my crops. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater barns. And there I'll store my crops for myself and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry, and retire. And God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? And Jesus said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, the problem with the, with the man was not that he had an abundance. The problem with the man is all that he did was look at himself. Right? He didn't think about others. He didn't think about the poor or a widow or the abused or the, the outcast or the downtrodden or the abandoned or the rejected. He thought about one person. He thought about himself. Right? And what we're supposed to do is love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, and I, I want to just say this, and I'll probably say this again. But if there's something I want you to catch, this is it. Whenever something comes into your hand, part of it's for you. But there's a part of it that's not for you. Right? There's a part of it you're supposed to sow. Every time something comes into your hand, part of it's for you, but part of it's not for you. Right? So you sow it. And somebody says, it's gone. I literally, I remember when I became a Christian. I remember. Back in those days, they passed an offering plate. All right? I remember it came by. I was working at Steelcase. Right? I made $300 that week. I remember I had $30, a 20 and a 10. And that thing came by. And I put my money in. And I watched it go. And it went. I literally, I like, I could have bought a new pair of tennis shoes. 
I, I watched it go and I was like waving goodbye. Listen, listen, listen. It leaves your hand, it never leaves your life. That's right. It leaves your hand, it never leaves your life. It goes into your future, God blesses it, and he brings it back. And not only does he bring it back in this life, all right, but you're going to be rewarded based on what you've done, what you've done, because you love people, because you love God, because you love the kingdom of God. In Acts 10, it says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. When it says they're doing good, the Greek word there literally means a philanthropist, one who financially supports charitable works, a person who uses his finances and his resources to meet the needs of the disadvantaged, right? To provide food, clothes, and other commodities to meet the physical and material needs, right? That's what it's talking about. Jesus went about doing good, doing good, right? And, and really, when you look at your Bible, a lot of people don't realize this. There's actually three types of giving that are mentioned in the New Testament. All right? The first one most of us has heard of, heard of, and that's tithing. That's literally taking the first tenth and honoring God with it. But the next type is alms. Right? And it's not tithing. It's different. In fact, the rules are even different. All right? But alms is giving to the poor. And when you give to the poor, the Bible says don't let... Your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now, if you're going to tithe, how many know you need to figure it out? You just move the decibel point. It's really easy, yeah. right? But you do need to figure it out, yeah. right? But when it comes to tithes, it says don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't go around and say, well, you know, you, you, you see sister so-and-so? She was in need. I bought her a new washing machine. No, 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 no. Your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. Nothing. And then there's offerings, which is something that you want to do, right? But it's of over and above your tithe. Now, in Acts chapter 10, I think this is really interesting. There's a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He observed him, and he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to men, you know, listen, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Right? The word memorial there in the Greek, it's statue. How many have ever been to a park and seen a statue? That's literally what this means. All right? It's like his praying and his giving, his almsgiving, came up and they were like a statue before God. That the, the 10th chapter, Peter tells a little bit more about what the angel said. And I think this is interesting. He said, he, Peter, go get Peter, and he will tell you words by which you and your house will be saved. Got that? Your house will be saved. Now, who is this guy? He's a devout man. He fears God with all his house. He gives alms generously, and he prays always. But the angel said he'll tell you how to be saved. How many of you realize your works will not save you? Right? Jesus will save you. And that's what Peter came and told him. And he got saved. But you know what? How many of you realize his works stood up as a memorial before God? That's right. All right? They came up as a memorial before the Lord. Right? 
In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8, it says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. So whatever you do, you'll receive the same from the Lord. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is this. They think, I'm going to help you, and then you're going to help me. Right? When I do something for you, then you owe me. Kind of like, you, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Listen, that is the world's system. That's right. That is not the kingdom of God's system. All right? The kingdom of God's system is you do it for somebody else, and God says, I'll do it for you. In fact, the paraphrase of this verse says it this way. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. All right? So when we look for somebody else to, to, to re- reward us, we will be disappointed. But if you look to God to reward you, you will never be disappointed. All right? Whatever you do, you will receive the same from the Lord. Slave or free, rich or poor, old, young, educated, illiterate, doesn't matter. You will receive the same from the Lord. Now, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that the prophet Elijah is sent to a widow in Seraphath. And God said to him, he says, I've commanded her to provide for you. There's a famine going on. And he gets there, and there she is out gathering some sticks. And he says to her, would you bring me a little water? And as she's going, he says, and and please make me a little cake and bring it to me. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, she says, all I have is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil in the bottom of a cruise. And I'm going to make a little cake for my son and a little cake for myself. And we're going to eat them and we're going to die. And then this is what the prophet said. I'm so glad that no reporters were there. (laughs) Because this is what the prophet said. He says, go do like you said, but make me a little cake first. Make me a little cake first. He says, don't fear. Go and do like you said, but make me a little cake first. Because this is what the Lord says. He says, that flower, every time you put your hand in there, there's going to be more. And every time you turn up that cruise, there's going to be more until the Lord sends rain on the earth. Now, here's what, here's what I know. Most Christians want to sow. They want to help. They want to be generous. But here's their problem. They're afraid. They're afraid they won't have enough. They're afraid. How am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to get shoes for my kids? How am I going to be able to, to, to buy what I need to buy, food? How am I going to make the car payment? How am I going to do it? So what did the prophet said? He said, do not fear. Do not fear. Right? He says, when you put God first and you release what's in your hand, God will release what he has in his hand towards you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make it up to you. By giving you everything you need and more besides. He gives you everything you need and more. So there's not only enough to meet all your needs, but enough left over to joyfully give to others. 2 Corinthians 9, 10. For God who gives seed to the farmer to plant and later on good crops to harvest and eat will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. You know, a while back, I had somebody come to me and said, hey, I just don't think that, that tithing stuff is in the New Testament. 
And I said, well, first of all, it is, but who cares? But who cares? Because it says here, God's going to bless you so you can give away more and more. Yeah, that's right. All right. He's going to bless you. Why? So you can what? Give away. More and more. So in other words, God's saying, the more I bless you, don't just stay at this level. As I bless you more, sow more. And you win, I'll bless you more so you can sow more and more. God doesn't just bless, so, bless us so we can be a fat cat. Right? God blesses you so you can give away more and more. Um, <clears throat> when Jeannie and I were, first got married, in fact, we celebrated our first year of marriage in Mexico as missionaries. Uh, we spent about two years in the city of Guadalajara, started our first church, turned it over to a local pastor, went and lived two years in an Indian village with the Otomi Indians, and then we moved back to the same city we had started in, uh, this city of Guadalajara. That time it was close to five million people. And uh, I was teaching in a Bible college, and we were helping to start a church on the other side of town. Uh, the church was about uh, seven or eight months old at this point, about four or five hundred people. And uh, Chewy was the pastor, Chewy and Vicky Olivares. And they didn't have a car. All right? And they just take a bus wherever they had to go. Well, we were getting ready to leave Mexico. We were going to be leaving in a, oh, about three months probably. And, and as I'm praying one day, I just get this thought to give Chewy Jeannie's car. Now, just to give you an idea, this car was most of our net worth. Right? At that time, this was 1983, a new Ford LTD in Mexico cost $50,000 American. Right? And this was not an LTD, but it was a nice car. Right? And we, had, we knew we were moving up to Michigan, and we had actually signed a contract with a builder to build us something, and this car was the down payment on our house. And so as I had that thought, I just, I, I, first I just, I'm like, Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. But it didn't go away. It just kept getting stronger. And so I very carefully explained to the Lord why we could not give the car. And he didn't care. He simply did not care. May as well be talking to a tree. I mean, he didn't care at all. So you say, what did you do? I put it up for sale. You say, what happened? Nothing. You would have thought our car had AIDS. I mean, like, nobody's looking at it. No response at all. In fact, I even discounted it some. And still nothing happened. And it's a Thursday night, and I'm preaching at the new church with Pastor Chewy. I get there early. And I'm walking back and forth in front of the, the, the platform, and I'm praying, and I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, we're going to be praying for the sick tonight. And I pray that, you know, you, you'll confirm your word with signs following. We'll lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover. You know? And then I'm silent, because when you pray, you talk and you listen. And I kid you not, the Lord was clear as a bell, and he said, and the car. <laughs> I'm serious, he said, the car. So I said, Lord, we're going to give an invitation for people to get saved tonight. And I pray, you know, that you draw the loss and the people are going to get saved. And I thought, well, you know, you're quiet. How do you want me to talk, you know? And the Lord said, and the car. <laughs> and I remember, I as clear as I remember exactly where I was standing. I said, God, this is not fair. I said, either this is going to be the worst service you or I have ever been in, 
or I have to surrender the car. And this isn't fair. And God didn't care. So I said, okay. I said, okay, okay. When the service is over, you know, we're going to go out to eat, and, and I'll tell Chewy we're going to give him the car when we leave in six weeks. So we had a great service. We're walking out to the car afterwards. And I said to Chewy, I said, hey, Chewy, I said, uh, you, you know Jeannie's car? And he says, oh, you mean that blue car with those shiny wheels? I said, yeah. He said, that's a really nice car. I said, yeah, it really is. I, I said, uh, you know, we're leaving. We're leaving in about six weeks. I said, uh, we're, we're going to give you and Vicky that car. And I kid you not, he stops right there on the sidewalk. Hallelujah! 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 And he turns to me and he says in perfect Spanish, he says to me, he says, I've known that for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, it'd been about six weeks. <laughs> so here's the crazy thing there was no way in the natural, no way that we could get the money. But you know what? We had the money. Yeah. We had the money. Yeah. When you let go of what's in your hand, God lets go of what's in his hand. That's right. And we, we have tried to figure it out. It does not work. Two and a half years later, the house was completely paid for. And if you took 100% of our salary, it wouldn't be paid for. You say, how did that happen? I could not tell you how it happened. All right? But when you let go of what's in your hand, God lets go of what's in his hand. Right? And I just want to encourage you, fear not. Fear not. All right? When God asks you to do something, and he's, got, he's asking you to sow a seed, he has a harvest in mind for the seed that you sow. All right.